0: Hello and welcome to the Emerging Purpose Podcast. My name's Greg Donaldson and each episode we talk to a new guest about the theme of purpose. This week I'm talking to a good friend of mine, Mr. Christopher Paul. So hello, welcome to the Emerging Purpose Podcast. I'm Mm -hmm. sat here with uh, Chris Paul who is a good friend of mine. We've known each other for maybe five, six years now. Uh, we started training at the Psychosynthesis Trust in 2013, I believe.
1: I think so. Something like that.
0: Yeah. So welcome, Chris. How are you?
1: Mm. Oh, I'm good. Excellent. Yes, you know, the usual sort of thing about being a bit tired and, and you know, all the all the stuff you have at weekends when you're unraveling all the stuff from the week.
0: Yeah. So here we are. Yes, you're right. We're here on a Saturday afternoon in Brighton. Mm-hmm. The sun is shining. And we seem to be self-isolating because of all the stuff that's going on outside oh, of the moment. we're two metres
1: apart, so that's good.
0: <laughs> and we've washed our hands thoroughly.
1: Yep. Yeah,
0: so um, just for the benefit of our listeners, I wondered if you could tell me about what you do. I mean, I know what you do, but it'd be nice to hear, hear your version of it.
1: Well, I'm a psychosynthist psychotherapist.
0: Easy for you to say.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I i'm a therapist i have a private practice i work as a full-time private practice um in rural wiltshire and that's what i do for money Mm. um and the rest of the time i live in a cottage on a farm which is also where i work um in in some uh, premises next to the house go for walks do a bit of gardening um See my friends, hang out.
0: Sounds pretty idyllic.
1: Well, it's idyllic until the storms start and they <laughs> blow across the fields and knock bits of my greenhouse down. But um, that's it's hardly a big problem.
0: No, sure. So, it's, uh, so, and living out in the country um, and doing your work, how do, how is that for you? Do, you, do <clears throat> you, uh, that kind of works for you? You find that there's enough clients, and
1: yeah, that yes, there's no problem with um, with demand, and it's got the. added bonus are i don't work in a in a in a town i'm i'm sort of halfway between hungerford and marlborough yeah and um so everybody has to to drive um at least in some way or or somehow get to me Mm. get a lift and a lot of clients have found that that drive is is part of getting into the therapeutic space as well always therapeutic because um you know some of them will sort of stop just sort of down the lane in a in a parking spot and look at the listen to the birds look at the sun watch look at the fields before the, while they're waiting for the right time to come
0: so the moment of calm and reflection yeah. before they're sort of processing and
1: and then there's a bit of decompression afterwards as they they, they drive mm. back you know mm. there might not be a long drive but um, mm. you've got people who drive half an hour that's quite common
0: yeah, so it sounds like a nice place to work.
1: Well, it is, yeah. you know. I mean, um, it's very quiet. Uh, you can listen to the either the storms outside or the rain or on nicer days, the, the sun, the, at the minute, a couple of angry geese, um, <laughs> some bird, bird song and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, for a few clients, that's part of the session. Yeah, you know, is that sort of the the peace and quiet? Uh, as one client, I've we've been we've actually during the session been for a walk. Actually, just gone for a walk.
0: Really? So the so sort of moving more into the wild therapy, yeah. uh, sort of perspective.
1: That's right. Gone out, gone on a walk. Seen seen the seen the deer and the and some hares and, and pheasants. And, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's been the part of being with.
0: Hmm. Mm. So I guess maybe we should back up a little bit mm-hmm. um, You know you said you're a psychosynthesis psychotherapist Yeah So let's just explore that a little bit Before before we get into what that is mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'm quite interested to find out what led you into that what, what what led you into becoming a therapist
1: Well I was Stood on the tube Uh, About what must be about 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago. Mm. Um, And I could probably work out when it was exactly because I, at that point it was, I had, they just, it it was very shortly after they put the retirement age up from 65 to 67. And I thought to myself, do I want to do what I'm doing now for the next 21 years? Um, so it must therefore have been nine years ago. Mm. Nine years.
0: And what were you? Do- what were you doing at that point?
1: Uh, well, I was working in the charitable sector, mm. um, doing sort of uh, management consultancy and sort of homelessness and housing. Mm. Oh right. Um, so quite frontline work. Well, it wasn't terribly. You see, that's part of it. Okay. Um, you know, did plenty of frontline work, but this is more sort of um, a mixture of, sometimes uh, it was about here, inspecting inspections and sort of quality. Sometimes it was about coaching. I was doing a fair bit of coaching at that point. Um, Sometimes it was about more sort of strategic work with uh, organisations or there was also um, you know, quite a bit of just sort of writing stuff, you know, doing an assessment. Admin? Not exactly admin, no. It's more to do with, I mean, that the whole social housing it was mired in reports, um, applications for funding, etc., etc. So I used to do quite a lot of going and finding out about a project and then helping them do their report to get their, their uh, so. funding from the local authority or apply for other... So there's that sort of stuff as well. And mm. uh, that was all right. I mean, I didn't didn't mind doing that. Mm. Um, but, you know, this was sort of... Yeah, just standing on the tube thinking, oh, I don't particularly want to do this for that. You know, it's all right, but it's, it doesn't... You'd
0: been doing that for a while, had you?
1: Uh, yeah, I had been doing that for a while. Mm. Um you know, I'd, up to that point, I'd always worked in in social housing. Mm. Um, and I realised, just sort of standing there, I, th- I thought to myself, you know, well, what do I actually enjoy? And I think part of the work I enjoyed the most was the, the coaching work um, and helping people develop, mm. you know, doing sort of staff development type things. Um, you know, and um, I quite enjoyed training as well at that point but um like offering trainings. yeah i I did training courses um, i mean sort of you know anything from sort of listening skills to data protection i did a course on wow scintillating yeah um but it was mainly to do with working with 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 homeless people uh, right yeah um in various aspects and um you know, and I realised that what I enjoyed the most was 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 helping people develop, mm. um, and actually more the sort of one to one work. Mm. So, and I enjoyed doing the coaching, uh, and it wasn't just sort of one to one coaching that I did. It was also sort of group dynamics and group coaching and things oh, like nice. that at that point. Yeah. So I can't quite remember how I reached the decision, but um, I think I, I decided that. Uh, it made sense to do more of that um and as i within the coaching i enjoyed the the emotional end much more than the well you should do this and try this technique and all this sort of stuff Mm. um counseling made Mm. sense Mm. so i i went to do that um
0: how did you how did you decide upon um because uh, you know as we know now, there are many, many schools of psychotherapy mm-hmm. and counselling and, you know, um, but, but to actually land on psychosynthesis as a sort of specific model, was there, a, what was your, what was your sort of journey around that?
1: Well, I decided that I wanted to study the whole thing. I, I had a friend who'd um, studied counselling and then gone through to psychotherapy and, and talked to her about that and um, gave me a book on basic different things, which, you know, a book on these are the different types you can do, the different schools, psychosynthesis and the trans person wasn't mentioned. Mm. Um, so I looked at what were the, the training organisations in London, uh, which could do, uh, had the capacity, if I wanted to, to, to go through counselling to, to psychotherapy. Um, and I went to four or five open days. So I went to the Tavistock, um, you know, whose focus is obviously couples and, and an analytical approach.
0: Mm, very famous um, organisation.
1: Yeah, right? I remember we went and we all, after there'd been a few talks, we were sat on a load of chairs facing the almost the entire faculty and there was this woman at the front with these glinting horn-rimmed glasses, at least that's how I remember it, <laughs> and they all looked a bit severe. I thought, OK, well, this is all right, but, yeah, do I want to do couples? Do I want to be sort of very analytical and stuff like that? Well, maybe we'll see what else we get. Hmm. So I went to IATA as well, which was beautifully fanciful, and oh, this would be more focused on um, young people and play and um, children even. Yeah. Um, and I remember there was sort of again, it was a, a beautiful setting. You know, they were sort of trying to practice what they preached. Well, they were practicing what they preached in as far as they'd they'd got their their centre was lovely decorated you know it's like walking to some sort of opulent hall really? um yeah it was gorgeous yeah um and i think there was about 60 people on this open day and we did things like a bit of painting and some sand play and all this and that was all good fun um but i did look around the the room and i was the only man out of 60 and there was um and i also noticed that actually 58 of the other people were white women wow <laughs> so um I just have that memory and you know so I thought thought, yeah okay um and it was very um well I'll come on to psychosynthesis in a minute yeah uh, and I went to another center whose name escapes me which was much more my cup of tea it was it was a sort of converted house it's only a small group but and it was kind of okay um I didn't have any great feelings one way or another um but actually, I, I learned that you couldn't really go through and do a master's in psychotherapy there. Oh. So I sort of thought, hmm. So then I went to Psychosynthesis Trust in London Bridge. And I remember I remember going into this shabby building, traipsing up some rather rickety stairs, and sitting down, and Alan Freighter, standing at the front of the class, sort of jotting down Asioli's egg, on, on a flip chart in a, in a rather sort of, in his rather um, deadpan delivery, slightly sort of down, sort of, you know, yeah, it's like this. And this and, that. <laughs> and the carpets were tatty and the chairs were uncomfortable. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, this is the place for me. <laughs> so I don't know. So it, it, um, it spoke to me. It's also actually, yeah. you know, I have to own that I also thought, and this is the easiest one to get to. Right, because, London Bridge. Yeah, well, I lived in Croydon at the time, so it was very yeah. easy to get to. But um,
0: I love, I love that uh, you know you're sort of saying that it's the place that did that didn't have the sort of shiny veneer. Yeah, I didn't like the veneer. Yeah, and I very, I sort of very much agree with that in terms of when I first applied at the trust, there was mm. the website was terrible. It was it looked like it had been put together in the you know when the internet had first been invented. But like, yeah. something about that I liked because they didn't have the sort of shiny selling, you yes. know, thing going on.
1: Well, I think I, I liked the fact that uh, that that Alan didn't try and sell it. Mm. He just said, "Well, this is this is it," and you know, mm. uh, you know, and it was. So I thought, yeah, let's do the essentials.
0: Great. So, what, and and for the benefit of the listeners, what 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 are the essentials? Well,
1: the essentials was um, a well. Then it was a a five day intensive course you had to do before you you did the sort of the first year of the the mm. PG dip study towards the the counseling um diploma um and that was that was kind of cool mm. um because it was a lot of yeah it was, it was a, an intense taster including the bit they used to have I think they don't have it now where you could observe counseling sessions um that was all kind of cool and um <clears throat> yeah and I enjoyed that mm, you know, so I thought, yeah let's do this,
0: yeah, so you signed up for your your foundation year
1: foundation year and then the two years of the p g dip, and yeah, just sort of did that, yeah, and of course we met in the first year of the p g dip that's right, yeah, yeah, um yeah. and you know what what attracted me to psychosynthesis, yeah um was the atmosphere, you know I mean i I at the time, at the time of um, signing up for the course and doing the essentials, um, I wouldn't have considered myself a spiritual person particularly. Mm. You know, they'd always, they'd always been an interest. Um, So this was part of the personal journey as well, because I recall sort of in my early twenties I. I Was into a lot of meditation and Buddhism, and um, but kind of at that stage, the only th- the only thread, spiritual thread that led through my life was yoga, mm. cause, you know, which I'd done since nineteen eighty six and still do. Come on, yeah. So, um, and and I must just as a side note say that's totally worth it because I'm now more flexible than much younger people. Wow. Which is always gratifying. Yeah. Admittedly, other things don't work as well. Hey. <laughs> um, hey,
0: you can still, at least you can do a downward dog and I can, yeah. a sun salutation.
1: I can do more than that, mate. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so. Um,
0: Psychosynthesis. So,
1: yeah, but I'd kind of lost the spiritual thread in my life. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it was very sort of, um, yeah, know, the, the sort of the coaching models I'd studied and the, the stuff I was interested in, you know, the sort of stuff that I, I, uh, that spoke to me before mm. I started doing psychosynthesis was, um, things like transactional analysis, which is sort of quite easy to comprehend, makes sense. Mm. You so know, the parent, sort of, adult, child. Yeah, sort of well, yes, and that's, <clears throat> but, um. Those sort of ideas, which don't don't have any transpersonal element to it, um, and it wasn't that I didn't think to myself, "I want to do a transpersonal course." You know, I thought to myself, "This feels right."
0: Okay, so it was a it was a feeling, yeah, that 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 sort of enabled you to sort of follow that thread.
1: I followed my instinct. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, yeah, no, didn't look back, I suppose. Mm. You know, I was very glad it was a uh, a transpersonal training course. Mm. And I liked the models. I liked the way it worked. It all made made sense. Mm. Um I very much liked the the imaginative side of it. Did you? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. The, you know, you as you remember, you know, the sort of some of the exercises we did and the the
0: uh, yeah, you, what sort of things do you mean? Do you mean?
1: Well, I'm 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 thinking of, um, you know, when well, we did a lot of crayon drawing. That's true. A lot of sort of uh, visualization. A lot of crayon drawing. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 one of the things that really interested me was the symbology of it. You know the, the the sword for the will. Mm. If you remember that, and uh, that's a
0: big thing in psychosynthesis, isn't it? The will,
1: the will, yeah. yes, and and then love, and I, I think mm. we were we were visualizing being held in a, in a big pair of hands or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, and sort of uh, yeah, since explored those symbols further, and uh, yeah. Mm.
0: So did well, do you feel like that had an effect on your <clears throat> personal life as well as your you know obviously training to be a professional?
1: Well, yes. Yeah. Well, yes, I, I I left my wife, so you it did. had a had a big effect, and that was a direct result of inquiring into that side of my being, mm. and realizing that um, you know my spiritual side was very much coming back, and interestingly enough, she she was kind of going the other way. I see. I mean, when we first met. Um, you know, we'd both been interested and sort of quite into that in in different ways, the spiritual side of things, and uh, uh, and she kind of lost her faith over um, a number of years for for various reasons. Mm. Um, so it sounds
0: like you kind of there was a growing apart. There was a growing apart, right, okay.
1: you know, and, and I I think I knew that anyway, but hadn't really sort of recognised it. Mm. Um
0: so the training
1: kind of the sh- training crystallized it. Oh, right, I see. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't it it um or well, like doing any of this work it wasn't necessarily causative but it it mm. it was in as far as it it brought things to a head. Yeah. Um and that was also part of having that sort of imaginative life and um paying attention to myself as well mm. as opposed to the sort of the more nuts and bolts of existence Mm. you know so developing um the inner world
0: yeah absolutely
1: yeah as a as as opposed to sort of being in the outer world of going to work and watching telly and having a few glasses of wine Mm. and you know and you know yeah. Well, plus I was due a midlife crisis anyway. So, uh, which again was precipitated by by being in that environment. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's, I mean, you know, there's a couple of things there, isn't there? I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what midlife crisis means to you. Mm. You know, um, I certainly know personally, even though we call it crisis, it's there's still um, a sort of feeling of, um release and i mean you have to have that kind of grief and letting go but then on the other side of it it's like i'm open to new the new experience and what i can give in a different way or mm-hmm. new new parts of me can be expressed so yeah i'd i'd, I'd be interested to hear more on that but uh, but um you know the, the other thing you were saying about how um you sort of feel like like psych- the, the training kind of precipitated this change in you yeah um, wh- why do you why do you think that is is it is it what is it about psychosynthesis that that allows that is it I mean is it the model or is it just or do you think it was the training in particular or was it a sort of mixture of both or
1: well I'm not sure about I think the model is interesting mm. um, and gives you a frame for thinking about things but I would have said actually it was the the experience and the methodology of the training, okay, um, and the relationships that occurred within the group, the relationship with myself, um, and it I I don't know but I I kind of imagine that if, if I'd be doing something uh, a different model probably it would have led to the same thing. Right. So it's the place you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Might. I might have gone off in a different direction with a different model. I think mm. the the model and the, and its way of going about things um, has now led me in, in a totally different direction mm. um, to one that I might have gone on with something that was more sort of um, well less esoteric, I'll say. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so the so so what you're saying is it sort of open like like you said earlier is like this spiritual side that you'd never particularly yeah. recognised in yourself.
1: Well, you see, by crisis, I think of it in terms of a breaking and an opening up to something new. Right. So I think the breaking probably would have happened anyway. Right. Um, but And um, that would have led to an opening up. But what then came in maybe had much more to do with the psychosynthesis way of looking at things. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure that's about techniques or... Models or anything like that. It's it's much more to do with the attitude towards um, the heart, the attitude towards suffering and purpose as well, mm. life path, whatever mm. you you might call it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, well, as you know, this is called the Emerging Purpose Podcast, so we're in the I right put area. Put that
1: purpose word in just for you, Greg. Thank you, Chris.
0: <laughs> so let's let's talk about purpose. Um, what's how do you see it? What what is it? Is it, is it something we all need? Is it something that um, that you feel that you have personally? Is it some? Is it something that it's just you know um, like this one thing that you keep you keep your eye on and you head towards that? Or how how do you see how do you see purpose? What's your concept of it?
1: I experience it as feeling I'm in the right place, doing the right thing. Mm. Um, certainly at the moment. I don't have any any idea or any feeling of doing or being anything else than what I am. Mm. So I feel that like I'm on the what's the right path for me. Mm. And, um, you know, in some ways that's a scary thought because I don't have a pl- plan B. If everything went totally tits up, mm. I wouldn't, wouldn't think about, oh, God, what am I going to do now? Mm. But I don't imagine it will. Because yeah, mm. I'm in the right place doing the right thing. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. You sort of ask, does everybody need a purpose? Yes. Well, you know, we're we're linking there into ideas of meaning and having a meaningful life, yeah. and um, and your life meaning something. You know, and purpose can be anything.
0: Mm.
1: You know, earning a lot of money, having a nice car, nice house. Having kids mm. being a certain thing yeah or being yourself yeah you know or you know experiencing the world and whatever way you want to to experience it mm. and I think it's very important if not essential uh, for dealing with the pitfalls of life with suffering and crisis and you know and that's what i think you know when i sort of you know i I use the phrase midlife crisis um which is a kind of a a popular way of talking about well you reach your 40s or 50s or whether wherever it happens and you suddenly think hey what's the point of all this yeah (laughs) What, what am i doing um you know, and I think it's often experienced. Certainly, I mean, certainly for me, there was a, you know, there's a, usually some sort of precipitating event. My, I suppose it started possibly when my father died. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so the first experience of somebody dying close to me. Mm. You know, therefore, there's an existential event. Yeah, um, brings your mortality into yeah into focus. Yeah, you know, and and I d- didn't um, consciously notice that at the time, but l- when I look back things started to happen after that Mm. you know um so uh, and it's about waking up as well so rather you know you 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 go to school um you go to college or university or get an apprenticeship you get a job you get married maybe you have kids you get a nice house okay ticked all those boxes Oh, fuck me, I'm going to die. What am I going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> how, do I, how do I meet that? Yeah. I haven't really thought about that.
0: Yeah. You know, what's well, then, the, what's uh, the point of all this? And that's the classic time, isn't uh. it? I mean, you know, you see people going kind of off the rails or, mm. um, well, what might look like going off the rails to them.
1: Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I'm I'm sure I could construe what happened to me as going off the rails, you mm. know. Yeah, Did you I, buy a
0: motorbike or uh, No, I got a sports car. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Well, it was it was it was an MGB. Was it? Yeah.
0: So why uh, not?
1: Yeah, why I, not? I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't quite have the right sort of garage to keep it though, but there you yeah. go. Um
0: So you embraced that? I embraced aspect. it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And actually I if my clients want to do that, I encourage them to embrace whatever which, yeah, a couple mm. of them have bought sports cars. Mm. both women i hasten to add <laughs> so it's not necessarily a stereotypical male thing but um <laughs> brilliant but yeah there's a there's a sort of embracing embracing the crisis and you know and you things go a bit uh, a bit crazy for a while yeah and um so do you
0: think part of your um I mean you said earlier that that part of the kind of coming to the trust to train mm. sort of precipitated this new awareness in you. Yeah. So is that when you feel that your kind of um own crisis came into focus or or existential crisis or whatever you want going to call it?
1: Well, um I think I understood what had already been going on. Mm. So it, it uh yeah, it, it it crystallized it all. Yeah, came into focus is a mm. good way of putting it. And um and that was you know it also brought about a necessary suffering
0: mm, necessary know? suffering. tell yes. me more about that
1: well um you know if we if we don't suffer then um to some extent i, I think it's very hard to achieve depth mm. and um interesting you know and I have a big issue with um the aversion um in modern society to to suffering and unpleasantness mm. um the, the you know the, the pursuit of happiness mm. uh, I don't think that's really a very good idea
0: what do what do you see happening
1: well uh, it means that um you if if the purpose of your life is to be happy whatever that may mean mm. then um you avoid things that make you unhappy. Mm. You know, anything that's difficult. Yeah. Um, And, of course, many things are difficult, but on the other side of them is something that's usually better than if you just avoided it. Mm. And, of course, you know, avoidance can mean um, uh, addictions. Yeah. Uh, It can mean shutting down all your emotions. Mm. Um, It can mean lots of things that actually it are fixes and very much in the short term but um in the long term don't get you where where you might want to be Mm. so you know i'm I'm, I, i kind of like the um some of the existential philosophers ideas about actually living your life in intensity and uh uh And those sort of ideas, you know, the purpose is to actually live your life fully, Mm. you know, and and to experience whatever comes along. Yeah. Yeah, and actually that might be, um, that might be more what's been called soul making.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a sense that actually, if you don't avoid the
1: suffering you might live your life with more depth and and of course in psychosynthesis there's the idea that you're you are increasing your emotional range and that's you know that increases your your access to joy as well as your access to sadness. Mm. So you can't have one without the other. other, Or you know, you see that in the Jungian idea of the shadow. You know, Mm. for every light there's a shadow and everything has a shadow. Yeah. So if you're always trying to avoid the shadow you eventually narrow your life down to nothing. Wow.
0: Yeah. So so in terms of the midlife crisis it's almost like a breaking through of what you've decided that you're willing to experience. Yeah. And all this other stuff starts to come in and sort of mm. flood that flood that consciousness and then you've kind of got a choice there whether you're going to try and batten that down and mm. keep keep that um you know new energy at bay or whether you can or whether you can allow yourself to sort of unravel and
1: yeah and the unraveling was much more interesting right much right. more interesting yeah you know and um there's you know I'm also very aware of how we or how the, the traditional medical reaction to to mental health mm. which is to to prescribe drugs yeah you know um treat the symptoms treat the symptoms um you know and and the most of the the medicines for uh, depression anxiety psychosis um basically restrict your emotional range Mm. damp everything down you know they don't you know the 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 idea that they're treating some sort of chemical uh, imbalance is perhaps slightly old-fashioned it's it's Mm. it doesn't seem to have a lot of currency in uh, even even the modern medical thinking about things Mm. Um, so it's kind of the antithesis of what we might aim towards
0: yeah i agree i mean i i i think I I mean I certainly I don't I'm not against antidepressants but I th- I'm I'm a, I'm kind of against the long term use of them
1: well and the the vast overprescription of them yeah I think that's the that's the thing that the if the first reaction is to take a pill to get rid of the pain mm.
0: um you're going to have to look at that pain at some point right
1: well unless you keep taking the pills
0: mm. but but then that's I suppose that's my <laughs> argument around well I think you know in some ways like antidepressants they they work for six months to a year in terms of dampening down the pain but
1: your body adapts to them exactly and then so then what? you have a dependency
0: yeah so do you either up them or you come off them
1: well if you look at the if you think about the antipsychotics and mm. the um the, the long-term use of them and what that does to cognitive ability mm. um the uh, how it can give you tremors, um, increases your, the likelihood that you're going to die of various many things, reduces your mortality, mm. uh, well not reduce your mortality, reduces your life expectancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually, you know, yeah, I'm very wary of of substances that you then depend on. Mm. to keep yourself normal whatever that is yeah um yeah yeah well
0: that's the thing isn't it I mean I don't know if you have that experience of sitting with clients who are on antidepressants and again mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it's a wrong thing but it's it it, the, the sort of vision I get of it is very much like when we talk about um you know looking at early childhood and the way that psychosynthesis looks at that and kind of says, well, you know, you've got an external unifying centre, someone, a parent or a caregiver who looks at you and, and may not see the whole of you because mm. the, what they want is you to be in this letterbox view of how they see you, you know, and then so therefore all these tra- kind of traumas are created because we sort of have to squeeze ourselves into this letterbox view of how our parents see us.
1: Well, the, the other thing about, um, I mean, let- if I just sort of continue with the uh, with thinking about uh, the medical use of drugs with mental health, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, the you connection. Know, it's with where that. we're in. We're in a situation where this is how. You know, there's also the, that that normalising. Yeah, you should behave and you should experience life in this way. Yeah. If you think differently or behave differently, we're going to section you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So I'm like you I'm not against the use of drugs per se mm. um because I think in the short term they can help people stabilize and s- decide what they're going to do in extreme cases mm. um but uh I am against their long-term use
0: yeah well I, d- I just don't think they work long term you know what I mean the people up no. the dose but it doesn't it doesn't it just keeps that letterbox view of yourself in terms of like you're not yeah. going to experience the highs or the lows
1: well you're flattened
0: flattened that's it yeah
1: you're flattened and you're also often stuck yeah um because that flattening makes it especially of cognitive ability makes it hard to mm. progress anything you know your your focus goes um eventually you're after long term use your physicality can start to go mm. you have quite often a real lowered desire for, for life or to do anything. That's it. Um, yeah.
0: So everything gets kind of dampened.
1: Yeah. And, and actually, uh, I've seen clients go into despair around this.
0: Have you? Yeah. How do you work with that? Um, I mean, that's quite a broad well, question.
1: Well, it is, it is a, a broad, broad question. Um, well, one of the things I do is provide them with alternative information about impact of drugs because usually they've got very little idea of what the actual effects of what they're taking potentially are.
0: So they believe, they've kind of believed what they've been told. Uh,
1: Well it's, you know um, if you think about the you go to the doctor's surgery and your poor GP has got five minutes to sort something which is actually quite vast out. Mm. Um, So with the best will in the world they're not gonna describe to you well these are the benefits these are potential harms this is what you might experience you know they're going to give you a leaflet to tell you to do some research Mm. um or possibly just say try these yeah (laughs) yeah in the worst case um so mostly people don't have a a very good idea of the impacts of what what they're taking Mm. um and because so just to draw this back to where we we kicked off which is the you know is life about the pursuit of happiness or is it something else if it's about the pursuit of happiness you want to get rid of those feelings be it depression or anxiety or hallucinations or whatever And i've used the word hallucinations and i'll come back to that yeah good yeah. um and you want to be be normal in that letterbox mm. except that letterbox is very restrictive um, but if you if you want to be happy then you don't want all the bad stuff
0: mm. that's that that I mean I think you hit the nail on the head with that I think that's mm. you know there's something about what we've been taught as a society or what we believe how mm. we should be or how we should be able to cope with life Yeah, and it doesn't in, doesn't necessarily include existential crisis, midlife crisis, um, falling apart, yeah. stopping, taking time. You know, it's about... There's something about how it's about plast- putting a plaster on it and carrying on. Yeah. Put a smile on your face and get on with it. Just buck your ideas That's up. the one. Yeah. That's the one. And even... And, and I, I don't know about you, but even when you get people who... are Clients that turn up who... Are in that sort of situation mm-hmm. it's almost like they've got an internal that internal message tells them that as well so they so they, so what you see in front of you is someone t- t- saying to you is like or asking from you is like, how can I fix all this up and get absolutely. on with it absolutely and 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 I'm pretty sure well I'd like to hear your opinion on that It's like well I don't necessarily think that's what needs to happen
1: well, absolutely not. Um so I'm gonna pick up on the word hallucinations I used Oh yeah, yeah. Just to give that as an example. Mm. So if we think a certain way, um one one aspect of psychosis may be hallucinations, visual auditory, tactile, uh whatever. Mm. Um but let's say we called psychosis a different way of experiencing and thinking. And we called hallucinations visions. Mm. Then where... And we were to take, say, a a shamanic perspective on things. Right. Yeah? Where... um, So in the shamanic tradition, there's a period of experiencing the world differently, of suffering, Mm. um, which may go on for quite a time. And... But that's would be seen in from that tradition as a way of gaining special knowledge. Mm. You know, and a people would be respected and it's a different way of thinking. Um
0: You mean in the more sort of indigenous cultures or in our past? That's well, the it, way it's it, been seen.
1: Well, in indigenous cultures, but mm. also in modern modern shamanism. Oh, I see modern shamanism. Yeah. Um I had a, a very interesting talk with someone who wasn't wasn't a client, um, but who'd who'd had repeated episodes of let's oh, I'm going to call it different thinking, mm. um, and found the most useful approach had been um, to view it um, from a shamanic perspective. Mm. You know, and this is just one instance, so it's it's not something to draw any sort of rule from but their their experience was that the the their their episode actually subsided a lot quicker um and because they were taking a different view of it you know not trying to get rid of it but experiencing it and letting it happen and mm. um you know they they felt differently about it as well you know they, they, that sort of um stigma that uh, attaches to to mental health didn't attach in the same way Mm. you know so their 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 self view um was different right you know and what it then what it was also leading them to do um which was to to work and and help others sort of experience some of the same sort of ideas and opening up um sort of flowed from that Yeah. so so there's and that seems to me a lot um a lot more beneficial Mm. than taking some pills for a couple of years and thinking I don't want that to happen again without asking the question, well actually what's trying to happen? Why is this happening? Yeah. You know, and That's my key, my, my experience of people who've had the had a psychotic diagnosis or diagnosis psychosis um is that how they experience it um is you can see why. Mm. you know the whatever sort of thinking has happened um, is based in their belief system. So they experience it according to their belief system. Um, and how they've reacted to it is, is as far as I've seen so far, you can trace back into some form of trauma. Really? Yeah. Mm. So, you know, it, it, so it seems to me that and again, I'm not going to make a rule out of this, but it seems to me that at least one of the aspects of um, what we call psychosis is that people have had traumatic experiences which they've been unable to process adequately. Mm. Um, and so they've, uh, their mind has, of course, made sense of this in terms of some sort of belief system.
0: Mm, yeah. You know? Uh, so just to clarify that, so you you're talking about the trauma is almost like the trauma that something that happened mm-hmm. along the way in life kind of yeah, um, well,
1: i'm talking about things things like um childhood abuse yeah um uh loss grief bereavement mm. you know but some usually you know usually fairly heavy stuff yeah yeah you know, um but
0: then the but then the person sort of turned that in on themselves and made and uh, like the action was the kind of trauma was the thing that they the action they took against themselves yes right
1: yeah you know and and it might be okay so um you know so someone uh, with a, a narcissistic caregiver mm. um becomes very self-sacrificing you know um you know, and there might be something like it, Jesus yeah. on the cross. Yes, or I have to die for you know, the, I have to die to solve this situation for other the people. The martyr, yeah, yeah, I have to be martyred. Yeah, you know, and that's a very strong, yeah, you know, there's a very strong belief within our culture. If you you look at it, mm. I have to martyr myself for others. Yeah, um, you know, which <laughs> it comes from an obvious obvious aspect of, of the the Christian basis of our culture. Mm um so i sort of i i see that so it seems to me that what you fundamentally believe um or the the imagery that you sort of swim in affects mm. your experience when you're reacting to whatever's happened that's that's perhaps been traumatic or you know mm. yeah. that's that's been my experience so far anyway yeah
0: so so it, when you're talking about psychosis mm. So it's almost like an extreme version of breaking out of that belief system somehow.
1: Yeah, well I wouldn't say I uh, I could say say that necessarily, but it, it it seems like something like that is happening. Right. You know, um I I mean you you're familiar with Jorge Ferrer and his work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the one of his central ideas is that we experience the transpersonal according to our sort of belief basis mm. so mm. you know so um so therefore a buddhist will perhaps you know have a transpersonal experience which involves a vision of the buddha a christian might see jesus mm. um and, and and so forth yeah you know um so or, we're all
0: taking a different boat to a different part of the island yeah. and arriving well, on well, that. one
1: sea many shores i think is how you oh, put it, it. Yeah. and um you know my own experience of that is um yeah my my imagery and the imagery i've i've worked with myself has been more pagan so of, so of course when when i see the shore i see a pagan shore <laughs> those so, are the
0: sort of images that come to me so what do you see the dancing tribes of uh, witches and wizards and druids and
1: well, not exactly like that, but more sort of, you know, um, it's it's more sort of the embodiment of a of sort of uh, uh, yeah, sort of a very basic pagan god. Yeah, within people. Or, I see. You know.
0: Yeah. Just so there was sense. more of an animalistic, um, animistic, <laughs> animistic. That's yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Well, you, you know, it's just when I've experienced the transpersonal, it's it's according to the the imagery and the set of beliefs which makes most sense to me. Mm. Yeah, or which, you know, my, my own internal imagery and the imagery I tend to use work within. Mm. You know, um, yeah, I wouldn't call myself a pagan, but I like and use the images because I mm. find them meaningful in terms in a sort of archetypal way. Mm. Yeah, so that's my experience of the transpersonal. Yes. And, you know, and going back to You know when we we experience life differently you know is that is that psychosis is it what's happening are Mm. we are we actually tapping in to some aspect of the transpersonal as well you know and certainly all all the clients i've talked to say yeah there's a very deeply spiritual aspect of their of their their experiences Mm. you know but of course they're psychotic so,
0: yeah. So that just s- that label itself kind of closes it down to yeah.
1: something. Well, you know, and I suppose it's like um, it's it's like the I, I don't know if you find this commonly, but I finally you know, people who experience anxiety will often be anxious about being anxious because mm. I shouldn't be anxious, yeah. or I or the other one, I shouldn't be unhappy. Everything's okay in my life. Why am I unhappy? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and of course that's there's that extra layer there which causes more distress. And I, I suppose my sort of what I'm what I'm thinking is that, you know, again, because of how we we look at mental health, um and how we look at the purpose of life, that creates an extra level of distress. Mm. I'm not happy, something's wrong. I shouldn't be unhappy. Mm. Why am I unhappy? Oh, it's okay to be unhappy. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, well the, you know, the funeral was a month ago. Why am I still unhappy? Mm. Yeah, might take a bit longer. Yeah. You might c- continue to be unhappy at times for the rest of your life. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah.
0: I I I often um kind of my concept of uh these different emotions like unhappy you know sadness or grief or whatever's going on in our lives mm. I sort of have a sort of quite a simplistic view of it but in terms of like radio stations playing mm-hmm. within us you know and it's almost like that that feeling that um you know there's a there's quite a few radio stations going on in within me and I can tune in or out of them when I want to you know, so there's that frequency of sadness may be there, yeah. And yet, um, mostly, I want to tune out of that and be happy. You know, and and but, but if I if I don't listen, if I don't if I don't tune in once in a while, that the volume on that sadness station is mm. going to just keep
1: getting higher and higher. You know. Yeah, or something else will happen. I mean, if you dissociate effectively enough, um, then you'll get sick. Yeah. You'll start drinking, you'll split up from your partner, you'll do whatever it is that you do. Yeah. Um without having, yes, tuned in and become conscious of actually what's going on in the background. Mm. Um Yeah. But with these with these sort of feelings, um I have the sense that ultimately you you we might be looking at um acceptance and, and i don't just mean a passive sort of i'm feeling sad okay this will pass mm. sort of attitude i think i'm feeling sad let's sit with this and actually enjoy it mm. yeah. you know i i've certainly had the experience of um in past years of waking up feeling quite depressed knowing yeah, that's actually probably fairly appropriate. It doesn't have an immediate cause. Everything okay around me is okay, but these are feelings are coming up because I'm safe enough to feel them now and I'm actually quite relishing that feeling. Mm. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a caveat, I also know that it probably won't persist very long.
0: Sure, so this th- too shall pass. The,
1: well, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's a very... Is very different and much more difficult if you constantly experience that sort of level of, of lowness or anxiety to appreciate it.
0: No, sure. You know, that's sure. that's very hard. Well, that's about develop. I mean, perhaps about developing, and maybe the work of therapy is partly to do with that. It's about developing mm-hmm. your relationship with those, yeah, emotions
1: and. Well, you know, so that they they do come, but perhaps they don't hang around quite as yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, and then you can just sort of, uh, perhaps appreciate them. Yeah. Okay, so feeling a bit of anxiety—is it appropriate? And you also might ask, "Is it mine?" But uh, yeah. what's going on? And and then it's gone, and you 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 can appreciate feeling happy. Mm. Yes, you're even allowed to feel happy. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, so you know, so in this, in, we're talking about purpose still, right? We are. You know yeah. what's the what's the purpose of life well if if it's something like living your life fully, then that suggests to me that you can appreciate all the emotions mm. you know this is this is like uh, Rumi's guest house. Are you familiar with that I am yeah, yeah, welcome them all in mm. all the visitors to the guest house you know welcome in all your emotions,
0: yeah, well, I guess you know I suppose what comes up for me in that <clears throat> is this um, yeah welcome them all in it's it, 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 you know it, it, that's that's why therapy for me it, it does become a sort of necessary tool mm. you know and there are other obviously loads of other ways to approach that but but therapy seems to make me accountable to myself in that way whereas if I sat on my own and tried to process that I'm more likely to avoid it, or to want to feel a different way, or to, you know, just not, or, or be, or be kind of um, told by an, another part of myself that you know, oh, that's okay, or or, I sh- or you shouldn't go there, or you're a t- type of person if you go into that place. And I think that's what's interesting, isn't it, about being a relationship with with another person in therapy, because they offer you other ways of looking at it it's
1: good to talk <laughs> um but yes <laughs> i'm just trying I, to sell
0: therapy here obviously well
1: <laughs> i think you can do it in ways other than therapy but therapy is one of the uh, yeah. easier ways to do it mm. you know it's a uh, um you can do it through doing um, work with yourself and, and mm. um, following a spiritual path but um but I, I, one of the other things I I also think is that you need things that reflect you back, and mm. the most obvious and easiest thing is to do that with with somebody else, and that might be a might be a partner or a friend or a therapist mm. or a group. Yeah, um, I think pets are pretty good as well. Mm-hmm. But um, unconditional love, unconditional love, you know, and um, if, if I was to think about um purpose slightly differently you know so we're we're here to be in our lives and we might want to also get away from the idea of our life as an individual thing so there's certainly a an I, but I'm, um, you know the 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 basic modern Western concept of the individual, uh, I think might be a little flawed. Mm. So, so there's, there, there's an eye, but that eye is the observer. It's not all the sort of personality and body and stuff like that. All, you know, all the, all the things which are often called transient. Yeah. You know, the, the, the mind stream that changes all the time. And that all occurs in relationship to other people or places uh, or things. Um, Relationship, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we're individuals in the sense that we commonly understand it. I think we merge in and out of each other all the time. Mm. Um, And within that uh, sense of self is quite important because we do that it's very easily easy to get lost you know um what's the sense of self maybe it's maybe it's consciousness and that that sort of inner observing state or self-awareness or whatever, whatever we might call it um and when we're when we're in distress um a lot of that to me seems to be connected to not being seen, not being reflected positively by yeah. others. Yeah. So, uh, and, and most commonly we might, might see that as, you know, that there wasn't enough unconditional love or mirroring or reflection when we were young or perhaps in other relationships that we've had. Um, and I, I think one of the ways therapy works is you come and you're reflected and you can, see yourself and experience yourself uh, um and have that reflected with love Mm. yeah and i think it's very you know people talk about you have to love yourself well how do you know how to do that until someone else has done it yeah you know yeah is it an a priori inherent thing um are we born knowing how to love ourselves i don't know
0: Mm. Well, it's, there's that quote, isn't there? Marianne Williamson says, love is what we're born with, fear is what we learn here.
1: Yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> well, of course, maybe. maybe, yeah. Yeah, but it's... Um... I just
0: love that quote because it's kind of, there is something about um, being born with that, the, the, the openness to that, you know, and actually mm. I don't think anyone escapes the trauma. Even if you come from a sort of really, be, you know, lo- a sort of lovely family that kind of shows you mm-hmm. enough love, there will be moments that you get missed and you don't get seen.
1: Well, I suppose you can also make the case that actually the, just the birth experience is naturally traumatic anyway. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, but the I, I don't know whether we're born naturally loving or not. I suspect mm. we probably are. Mm. But it seems to me that what we then experience in the world is going to make a lot of difference. So... So the idea that we have to learn to love ourselves, well, if we don't really know how to do it because we weren't shown how, mm. then you need to come and be loved. Yeah, be in a know, relationship, so which, which make yeah. Well, I'm going to say loved. Mm. You've got to be loved if you're not loved and ref- as as who you are, as opposed to maybe a false sense a self, a pleaser, or a, you know, mm. pretending to be something that actually inside you're not. Mm. You know, we we have to be loved in all our, in our fear and inadequacy and brokenness. Yeah. Um, and so this is the external unifying centre, to use a bit of psychosynthesis speak, from which you learn to form your internal unifying, <laughs> unifying centre. Yeah. It. So you learn to so love your people. your own inner guru. Yeah. Well, if if yeah. you're loved by somebody or you know, if your dog loves you, you might actually think okay so I am love and learn to love yourself a bit Mm, yeah yeah but much more powerful if it's a it's someone you can talk with experience with and Mm. you know who understands and reflects you as a human being yeah
0: yeah well I mean we're we're just coming to the end now but 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 it's been great talking to you about all of this stuff um but I kind of just I'm just interested in terms of you know talking about purpose and Mm -hmm. how all this fits with purpose you know is it is is that something that you hold in mind when you're working with clients or does it not show up as purpose is it is it um it varies yeah is I it love it, i think I mean, it varies
1: is it love
0: i mean that's you seem very you know that that what you just said is it seemed to sort of cover it all in terms of like well that's actually what we're looking What's well, kind of what we're all looking for isn't it is it is, is that acceptance
1: yeah Um, love I think is very important Mm. you know perhaps the most vital thing for us and part of that love if we were to link that together with with purpose and meaning is because what we're talking about really is loving yourself as you are you know not trying Mm. to be something else not trying to be happy for example Yeah. yeah Um, and not trying to be well whatever you think you're meant to be
0: mm. being if, what you are
1: being what you are, so I also think that some sometimes um when I work with people, I think you're not doing the right thing for you, and I don't necessarily mean that just in terms of okay, you're in a relationship that doesn't serve you or okay you're doing this job but actually you sh- it feels more like this sort of would would you know or or are yeah yeah so there's you, some there's some assumption there's something you're doing which um which feels wrong you're not so I, I sort of said earlier my experience of you know i'm doing the thing that i am meant to do is that how that's how it feels yeah you know, and sometimes I talk to clients and they're not doing the thing that actually they should be doing. Mm. You know. So we're we're, you know, maybe we could flirt here with, with the ideas of having a life purpose, mm. a thing that you're meant to do, whatever that is. Yeah. You know, and I think for a lot of people that will be, um, you know, growing up, getting married, having kids, doing a job. Mm. Um but the question is, you know, who do you marry? <laughs> what job do you do? Does that change along the way? Absolutely. You know? Inevitably. Yeah, inevitably. Mm. Um, and then what? <laughs> and then what? Mm. And at what stage in your life are you? Because, of course, your purpose can you can change at different stages. Yeah. But are you, are you being led towards something? You know, so so, you asked me earlier about how did I get into psychosynthesis? Well, I could say by accident, because there wasn't any sort of, well, if I do this and this and this, then that's, and I'm interested in that, so that fits with this, and no. No, it's because I turned up and it felt right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, um,
0: and you went with that feeling. And
1: I went with that feeling, yeah. which is a lot less painful than trying to work it all out cognitively. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't have any regrets about it. Yeah. You know, and and, and you're doing what you love, right? And I'm doing what I love. Yeah. You know, and that's not because the journey was was not painful; it was very painful. Yeah, and um, it, it
0: also sounds like you do what you love, mm-hmm. but part of your uh, part of that transaction, if you like—I mean, I don't want to put it in such a transactional way—but is then well, because you found that you in in an area in your life. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, we, we we've all got places to grow and meet and meet our edges, haven't we? But but in that area, you found your it felt right and, and you and you followed that path and and it sounds like what you do is now you you give that out as a gift in terms of like helping other people find it.
1: Yeah, well that's part of um finding it for myself, I suppose. Mm. You know, um I find increasingly as time goes by I'm trying less and less to do something. Mm. And kind of going with what happens. So it's like, um, yeah. Earlier, before we started this recording, we were uh, sort of said to you, "I haven't used a technique for a couple of years, maybe." Yeah. You know, sort of sat down and done this technique or that technique. It's just sort of, it's really listening to people and and seeing what emerges. Yeah. You know, and I suppose trusting that. Yeah, just trusting what emerges. Yeah. And maybe there, you know, uh, I, I might suggest. Um, you know, keep a dream diary, or do do some writing. And sometimes clients do, and sometimes they they don't. Yeah. You know, and um, and it. I, I don't feel that we've got to do anything in particular,
0: right? Just you know? another. Otherwise, it's, it could be another thing on the yeah. the achievement list.
1: It's another thing you should be doing. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. um, um, and and I think that if you know, I mean, the basis of therapy is free association and that that seems to me to be good to go yeah you know if you're doing if you're free associating then you'll lead yourself where you need to go
0: Mm. There's a curious there's a sort of curious wonder you know wonder through that isn't there
1: well yeah curiosity uh, yes a wonder and imagining um, imagining your life into being yeah you know or dreaming dreaming your life into being perhaps. and we might also think of it as a, uh, but it's it, there. I mean, in therapy, I think it's also co-created. Mm. You know, so so you you could say f- you you follow the client, but I because there's two of you, it's a dyad. Yeah. Actually, um, the client brings something, and you bring something. Yeah. You know, so um, so there's something here also in that that journey is is yeah is i suppose it fits with what i'm saying you know therapist and client merge together mm. and then separate again yeah you know and they take away part of you and you take away part of them so that's part of your experiencing <laughs> yeah
0: thank you chris it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you and uh, i hope we can do it again sometime you can maybe get deeper into the psychosynthesis or into another area um, just so um people know what wh- where you, what you do and if they want to get in contact with you or have a look at what you're up to wh- where can people find you?
1: Probably best to um look for my web page, yeah which is creative difference so www.creativedifference.org.uk dot org dot u k
0: great. So, uh, so if anyone wants to find out more about what Chris is up to or his approach, you, you can yeah, have a look at you that can website. Look at the
1: website. My email and is on there. Email me, you know. Yeah, be happy to to respond.
0: Fantastic, thank you so much, Chris, and uh, goodbye for now. And uh, I'll see you soon. See you soon. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining me on the Emerging Purpose podcast. My name's Greg Donaldson. And if you want to catch any more of my work, I'm on www.emergingpurpose.net. Take care. See you soon.